we are looking at uh, for our evening service for just a couple of weeks, and this might end it, uh, it all depends, uh, at anthropology, what this doctrine of anthropology, essentially anthropology is the science of man, what God says about man. Now this whole volume's written on this, so we can't even begin to scratch the surface of it in just a few hours that we have together to look at this. But we're looking at man biblically and scripturally. Uh, because uh, we don't want to look at man uh, as the world sees him. That is human philosophy or human psychology. Philosophy is interesting because a human philosophy, it is uh, greatly subject to error. And the reason it is is because it's man's view of man. And man's view of man is very, uh, very uh, tilted, very slanted. Um, I looked up a couple of um, definitions here as far as uh, human philosophy. It's the love and pursuit of wisdom, the inquiry into the nature of things logical. And, and uh, it's logical reasoning, if you would. So it's man's thought about man. It's man's thought about the world. That's human philosophy. And then human psychology is the science that deals with the mental processes and behavior, the emotional and behavioral characteristics of man. Now again, that's based upon human philosophy, human thoughts, human psychology. This is what I think. And it can be impressive because we have some very important thinkers in this world. They're getting fewer and fewer all the time as I watch the television and the debates and everything that goes on. But we do have uh, some people that are, we'll call them very brilliant, but they're only brilliant in human thinking in human ways. Where God has something to say about that through his word, and that's what we wanted to look at. For example, a human condition left to itself fell immediately into sin. We saw that in the Garden of Eden. Where God gave man a choice, and every time God man's, gives man a choice, man usually heads for the wrong thing as compared to what God would have. We want to look at this just for a few minutes together. Why is there such a chasm between man's thinking and God's thinking? And any time that man might be right about something, it's because he knowingly or unknowingly bumped into something God said in his word. That's the only reason man is ever right, is because he's bumped into God's word. I, as a, as a young man, I remember my parents and even my grandparents saying biblical things. I remember them saying it. But would the, did they know what they, they were? No, I don't think they were from, from what I remember. But things like man does not live by bread alone. I remember my grandparents saying that. What did they mean by that? Well, who knows what they meant, but they didn't mean what the Bible meant because they didn't they weren't interested in every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. And there's so many times that I remember people saying biblical things, and they were right in what they said. Why? Because that's what God said. But they were wrong in the way that they applied it. So let's look at a couple of passages. Why, oh, why, oh, why is there's such a chasm between man's thinking and God's thinking. Well, let's begin, please, with a couple of passages. Head with me to 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I think this is the classic passage on why 
Man's thinking is so different than God's thinking. In 2 Corinthians, I'm interested in chapter 10 for a moment. Here's the Apostle Paul. Of course, he, uh, he is dealing with the Corinthians. Now, the Corinthians, obviously there were Christians among them, but there was also apparently a great deal of unsaved people, and that would be so in any church you go into today. Uh, some of the people there are there because uh, the pastor sounds like a lovely song, or because there's moral people there, and, and people have a good attitude, or maybe even people help them out with money, or who knows what it is, but there, there's always, within a gathering, there'll always be people who know Christ and some who don't. And Paul's writing to those individuals, and we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, let's, um, let's pick it up in verse 11. Well, let's back it up for a moment. Paul has written them a letter, and, and the Corinthians say this about Paul, picking it up in uh, verse 10. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. I always picture Paul as a great orator, uh, you know, big, rugged guy orator. Apparently he wasn't. Apparently he was kind of uh, homely. And apparently he had maybe even a squeaky voice, I don't know. I hate to think of Paul with a squeaky voice, but maybe he did. I don't know that. His speech is contemptible. I hate his voice. Now that might have been because of where he was and the dialect he came from, from Tarsus. By the way, we're going to look at that on Monday evening, starting in January, where Paul came from, historically uh, the subjects around Paul, uh, for our evening school of the Bible. But the people saying he, he doesn't look like much, and he doesn't sound like much. However, his letters are weighty and powerful, this meat to what he writes. Now, why was that? Because that's God's word, not Paul's word. <laughs> Paul was homely and squeaky, okay? But when he wrote, what was he writing? The word of God, and that's always powerful, okay? Let such a one think this that such as we are in word by letter, when we are absent, such as we will be indeed when we are present. So I'm coming, and then let's hear what you have to say then. But notice what he says, and to me this is the classic passage of the, the philosophy of man, the psychology of man. For we dare not make ourselves of the number, nor compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. And here's man's thinking. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. That's human philosophy. When you compare yourself among yourself and then commend yourself among yourselves, you're not wise. Why? Because all of us like to think that we're not as bad as others think we are. I, I worked in uh, the Charlestown Navy Yard in Boston. I, it was under the Mystic River Bridge. And I used to have classrooms. Every, every fourth week, we'd have a classroom. And we would be under the Mystic, uh, we'd, our classrooms were under the Mystic River Bridge looking at the horror underneath there. And there were drunkards and winos and, and everything else under there. It was horrible to think about. You'd see a couple of drunkards come and beat up a wino for his bottle. And we witnessed this out the window. It was horrible to think of. And you think, well, the, the guy with the bottle, now he was better off than the guy without the bottle. That's why he beat him up, to get his bottle of wine. Now, that's the dregs of society. We recognize it. But realize this. 
That's what man thinks even though he elevates his position in life. He compares himself among himself. Now what does God tell us? No, no. Verse 18. For he that commendeth himself is not approved, but whom the Lord commends. See, if you're going to think on a level, you need to think on God's level, not your level. Your level is corrupt. Your level is a corruptible level. Even among Christians, is that not right? You start comparing yourself among other Christians, you've got a problem on your hands because you're supposed to look at the Lord. He's the standard, not people. He's the standard. And if you start thinking you're better than someone else, that means you're far worse just because you were thinking it. So we need to look at what God's word has to say. And to me, that's the classic passage. What do people do? What does human philosophy do? What does human psychology do? Well, they, uh, they commend themselves by measuring themselves uh, by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves. What do we have to do to find God's standard? What do we have to do to find God's uh, thoughts? Well, turn with me to Isaiah for a moment, the book of Isaiah, and I'd like you to go to chapter 5. Now remember, this is Old Testament Israel, and Isaiah is writing about Old Testament Israel. Now, Old Testament Israel really is just a, a, a living picture of what the heart of man is. It's a living picture. God tells us whatever things were written in earlier times were written for our learning. We learn. This is the heart of man. This is, God chose out Israel for his own. He blessed them. He gave them all he had. He did all he did for them. And they still rejected him. And this is the heart of a Christian many times, oftentimes. But I want you to see Old Testament Israel in Isaiah chapter 5. Now this is going to take just a minute. But Isaiah is warning the nation, and you see that in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. What more could I have done for my people Israel? Well, nothing else. He did all that he could. And now he picks it up in verse 8. Woe to them who join house to house, who lay field to field till there is no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. This is materialism at its best. Woe unto them, lay house to house. They have the huge spread, a huge mansion, a huge, huge place. It's beyond comprehension. What is it? It's materialism. Woe unto them that are materialistic. Didn't God warn us about that? New Testament Christians? He sure does. But what is human philosophy? Get all you can, while you can, as much as you can. That's human philosophy. You're a failure if you don't have a lot. That's human psychology. That's what people think. And it's all around us. And, and, and you know that to be true. Years ago, our kids used to look up to servicemen and look up to uh, men in important positions. Well, who do they look up to? The guy that makes the most money on a basketball court, plastered with tattoos, foul language that you get every other word out of his mouth when they interview the guy. He can barely put an English sentence together. Hero! Why? Because he makes a lot of money. Materialism. That's human, it's human philosophy. It's just there. Pick it up, if you would, please, in verse 11. Woe unto them 
who rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink, who continue until night till wine inflames them. This would be alcoholism. It would be synthetic pharmakia is the term used in the Greek language, it, depicted in the book of the Revelation. What is it, something um, that would just, it, it just changes my mood. It makes me feel better. It puts everything in a different light for me. I, I, I feel high, I feel whatever it may be that goes with that. Uh, woe unto them. They live in a world of stupor. They live in a world of stupor, why? Well, because that's their philosophy. It's about me. I need to feel good. It's about me. I can't experience pain. It's all about me. Well, God says, woe unto them. Verse 12, the harp and the lute and the timbrel and the flute and the wine are their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of hands. See, party time. Party time. The world is a party. The music. These are all musical instruments, so you wouldn't find those in a rock band today, I don't think, unless it mean, there's something in there indicating bang your head against the wall. But you recognize this. Uh, it's party time. Is that not the world's philosophy? Of course it is. The world's a party. Enjoy it while you can. That's psychology. That's human philosophy. And what does God say? Whoa. And notice this, please, in verse 13. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. We know this is physical and literal. It's physical and literal for the nation of Israel. But think about this spiritually. These people who are involved in this type of lifestyle are tied up with the cords of their own sin. And so we have this, this complete picture, if you would, of human thinking. Pick it up, please, in verse uh, 14. Therefore, Sheol, uh, the grave, or hell, is in uh, hath enlarged itself and opened her mouth without measure. And the glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he hath rejoiced, and he that rejoices shall descend into it. Hell is filled with people who are only interested in human philosophy, human psychology. It was just mentioned tonight, wasn't it? Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go that way. Hard is the way that leads to life eternal, and few there be that find it. You say, well, that's discouraging. Yes, it is, but think about it, if you would. That's the way our world looks today. That's what they look at. That's what they think about. That's why the Lord tells us, don't set your affections on things below, but on things above, where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because human psychology drives us to the flesh. I won't, I won't go, you can read the rest of it, and you'll see he's pointing to the nation of Israel, obviously, but he's pointing to us as well, as whatever was written in earlier times was written for our learning. This is the way the heart of man thinks. They drag, look, pick it up in verse 18. Woe unto them who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if it were cart rope. They drag this sin with them. It's as if they put it on a cart, all their sin, and they're dragging along with them wherever they go, when, whenever they uh, do anything. Verse 20, if this doesn't talk about today, I don't know what it talks about. 
Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Moral relativism. There's no absolutes. There is an absolute, and it's God. It's in God's word. Uh, I worked at a place in, uh, it, it was in, uh, it was in Waltham, and then it moved from Waltham, but I worked in a place, and we had to go for sensitivity training. Just picture me in sensitivity training. It was great. Uh, and we had a guy come in, and he uh, was telling us that there were no absolutes. He had no right judging. And of course, I sat there. What could I say? I mean, it was his class, and I just had to sit through it. I, I talked to him a little bit later on, but he was so immersed in his own thinking that he wouldn't even listen. Um, but there are no absolutes. Why? Because, see, if there's absolutes, that means there's a standard. And if there's a standard, that means you have to keep it. And so everything's okay. Um, have you noticed two mummies in commercials? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed two daddies in commercials with the same child? Have you noticed that? Have you seen it? Things are changing. The absolutes are gone. The standards have fallen. Woe unto them, the scriptures tell us. Woe. We're living in pressing times. Now, God could keep the whole business going for another thousand years. We don't know that. And we're, uh, we just need to serve the Lord while we're here. But recognize, when we're talking to someone about the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a chasm. There's a chasm between us. And only God can breach that chasm. And how can he do that? It's by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. That's why it's so important, folks, that we don't get in a debate with people. It's not a debate. Jesus Christ is Lord. He died on Calvary's cross for their sin. And they need to hear that. They need to know that there's, there's a way out of their helplessness and their hopelessness. They're not going to admit it to you, but at night, at night, they have something called the conscience. And that conscience bothers them. Until they sear it, of course, with the hot iron. So why is there such a gulf fix? Why is there a total chasm between biblical thinking and man's thinking? Well, let's look at it if we can, please. Turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, you, you, I, I'm sorry, 1 first, first Corinthians chapter 15. <coughs> Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Human philosophy says something very, very different from what God says. God has given to us his word. Through the spirit of God, the word of God is open in our understanding. With Old Testament Israel, a prophet would come and give out that word. With us, the spirit of God comes to indwell us and opens our, the eyes of our understanding and the ears of our understanding that we might hear and know what God has. But what about the world? What about those who deny Christ, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Romanism, what about those people? Well, it's because they do not have the spirit of the living God indwelling them that they fall prey to humanism and human philosophy. It may be re religious human philosophy, but it's still human, you see. They can be very religious. I mean, think about someone willing to strap a, 
a vest full of explosives on themselves for their God. That's dedicated human reasoning. Dedicated human reasoning. What about people who crawl on their knees up 200 steps, bloody when they get to the top, so they can kiss an object of wood about? Well, what about those people? Dedicated human reasoning. God calls for none of that in his word. Calls for none of it. But it's human philosophy. So they can be dedicated, they can be sincere, and they can be sacrificial, but absolutely wrong. Why? It's human reasoning. Now, where does this human reasoning come from? Well, we see that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 45 for a moment. Remember, when Adam fell, Adam was created perfect, and Adam was created for immortality. God wanted Adam to live forever. But Adam chose sin. The woman was not deceived, but the man, uh, the woman was deceived, but the man was not deceived, fell into transgression. So once Adam fell, he began producing children in his own image, in his own likeness. Now they had intellect, emotion, and will, but they were fallen. They were fallen. And this tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter. 15, and we'll pick it right up in verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was a living soul. The last Adam was made a life-giving spirit, comparing Adam with Christ. Okay, now look at verse 46. However, that was not first which was spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which was spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy, or earthly thinking. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as they that are heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Human philosophy is earthly thinking. It's earthy. It's down in the dirt. It's just earth. It's, it's, it's on a human level. That's human philosophy. That's human psychology. It, it, man believes, well, we crawled out from under a rock or from a, uh, a lesser life form, from some ooze somewhere. And so that's the height of their thinking. That's the highest they can think. Now, we do not want to throw rocks because that was our thinking. But what changed us? Well, you know, we were born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please. What makes the difference with... Uh, human philosophy, and God's word. Well, God's word is spiritually discerned. It's spiritually discerned. And an unsafe person does not have the Holy Spirit of God. Now, they have a spirit. I believe that every man has a spirit. Uh, the spirit of Pharaoh was troubled in him. Every man has a spirit, but it's fallen. It's corrupt. But we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, and 
His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the sons of God. Our spirit has been energized by the spirit of God. And so as we look at this, we see, picking up in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look with me please at verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to those who are lost, in whom the God of this age hath blinded the minds of them who believed not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The same person that was in the garden that, that uh, convinced Eve to question God's word is the same spirit that's in the world today blinding the eyes of unsaved people, pulling away from the God of the word and the word of God. It's the word of God is spiritually discerned. Why is there a chasm between those who know Christ and those who don't know Christ? It's because those who know Christ have the Holy Spirit of God, which interprets the word of God, which illuminates the word of God to the person of God. But is there a difference between us? Not physically speaking, but spiritually speaking, there is. There's a huge difference. Why? Because we now have that indwelling Holy Spirit. Again, uh, turn with me in your Bible to so John chapter 8 for a moment. The Gospel of John chapter 8. The Gospel of John chapter 8. I want you to see what our Lord Jesus said. Now, these are the Pharisees and Sadducees. Some of the most dedicated religious people in the world. Some of the most dedicated religious people in the world were the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus said, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to be totally dedicated as a person. There's no way you can do that. But the Lord Jesus in John chapter 8 is talking to these people. And I'd like you to see it starting in verse 43 for a moment, please. Remember, they just accused Jesus of being demonic. And they said, no, not only are you demonic, you're, Ill, you're an illegitimate and we don't need to even speak to you. It's kind of harsh, don't you think? In verse 41, you do the deeds of your father, they said. Then they said, uh, he said, then they said unto him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. So they were just saying, you were born of fornication. You know, it's interesting. A very small town, Bethlehem, very few people. Mary is with child, and she's not married. Guess how long it takes to get around that town. And guess how quickly that spread to those people who were looking for something wrong. And they found it. You were born of fornication. Of course, we know that was not true. But the minute rumors start, I came from a, a small town. For, we, I interim past it in a small town up in Maine, uh, Livermore, Maine. There's nothing that no one didn't know. Does that sound right? There's nothing that anyone didn't know that went on in that town. And that's what happened in Bethlehem. And now these Pharisees and Sadducees are picking up on this rule. Of course, we know he's born of the Spirit. Uh, 
and not fornication at all. But notice what Jesus said in verse 42. Then Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth from and uh, I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. And then he asked this question. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. What does that mean? Was he speaking so softly they couldn't hear him? Was there a crowd around perhaps that they couldn't hear him? Did he have ears like me and you need to say, what? What did you just say? Uh, no. What he's saying is you do not have a spiritual receptor. That's why you cannot understand me. You don't have ears to hear. You're unregenerated. You're unsaved. You're not born again. The only way you can really know God's word, spiritually speaking, is by having God's spirit as that receptor. He says, um, why? Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word, you are of your father the devil. In the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Back to the Garden of Eden, Cain and Abel. See, it all goes back to human thinking, human philosophy, human reasoning. It all goes back there. Why is there such a gap? Because someone who knows not Christ doesn't have the spiritual receptor to be able to, to hear and to believe and to understand. They don't have that. Turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We have a spiritual receptor. Is it because we're better than other people? Of course not. Is it because we're special? No. It's because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And you have a spiritual receptor, and that is the person of the Spirit of God. But, and can I add this to it? He wants to teach you all things through his word, but you have to get into his word. You have to grow. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't just sit back there and say, God, do it to me. You have to get in his word. You have to study. I'm not talking about a few seconds. You know, I'll read this one passage between commercials because the patriots are losing or ahead or something. No, no. We're talking about taking, dedicated some time to look at God's word. Taking some time. What does God say to us? Well, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, the Spirit's the one who gives us God's information. And we won't go through that because we don't, we, we don't want to take that much time to do that. But what about, what about human philosophy? What about human psychology? What about unsaved people? They can't understand the Word of God? Well, the Bible says no. They can understand the words on the page, they can understand language. They have a good old King James Bible. They'll have a hard time because it has thou in it every once in a while. That seems to confuse people to death. They can't read the King James language. But realize, uh, they can understand the words on the page, but they cannot understand the spiritual sense of it. And it says that right in verse 14, does it not? But the natural man, we would say the unsaved person. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. See that? You need a spiritual receptor to receive that word of God to grow in Christ Jesus. You, you, you have to have it. That's why there's a chasm, folks. An unsaved person cannot understand the translation, the rapture. They can't understand it. It's beyond them. Why would you start witnessing to them there? They can understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They can and do have opportunity to hear that and receive that or reject that. I believe every man, because Christ died for the sins of the whole world, every man has opportunity to believe. Every man. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Everyone has an opportunity to believe. They then make a decision whether they're going to believe or not. But if you start taking them into the book of the Revelation, what's that going to do for them? They're going to say, that guy is nuts. This is, this is fairy tales. This is fantasy stuff. But God's word tells us very plainly, it's spiritually discerned. They can't understand that. So why don't we just get the gospel to them about the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? So what about man? Well, we'd spent time with that looking at uh, man, looking at uh, there's a chasm between them, and that's just a little more for us to think about if we can together. But we saw that man was created uh, for immortality. That is, he could live forever. Adam could have lived forever. And his seed after him would have lived forever on planet Earth uh, without dying. But what happened? Well, he fell into sin. And we looked at that from the uh, book of Genesis together. What happened? He chose. He chose wrong. He chose to against, go against God's word. Self-will. Self-will is ignoring or opposing the will of God. God said something, you say something else. That's what sin is. Ignoring or opposing the will of God. You decide on something else, God said this, it's called sin. God said don't eat of the tree. What kind of tree was it? It's been debated forever. It's an apple, of course. Macintosh. Who knows what kind of... It was a fruit. Don't eat of that. Satan comes in the picture. God knows if you eat that, you'll be just like him. God said, if you eat that, you'll die. And man died. Now, what does it mean, man died? Man dies physically, but remember, God created man with two parts, at least two parts, three parts, if you would. God created man uh, with body, but soul and spirit, soul and spirit. The material part is the body. The spiritual part is the, the immaterial, the spiritual, the immaterial part is the soul and spirit. When the body dies, it's because the soul or soul spirit has left that body. And we want to, now we want to see what man says about this compared to what God says about this. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. 
the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon are the poetical books. <coughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 12. <clears throat> Do you ever think, um, I think about this because I've bumped into some Christians who have been Christians a long time, at least they tell me, and they don't know the books of the Bible. I often wonder about that, don't you? Now, I'm not wondering whether you're a Christian or not. I wonder, where's your head? You say, well, I have a hard time remembering stuff. I could ask you your address, you got it. Your social security number, you got it. The names of your children, you got it. I could ask you all kinds. Some people, some crazy people even know their registration number. I, I don't know that one. But you, you, get the, you, get, you, you know so many things. You memorize so many things. And here you are going to live with the Lord forever. And you don't know the names of the books in the only book that he wrote. That's kind of curious, isn't it? We should learn the books of the Bible. So when Pastor Rob says, turn to Micah, you say, okay, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, you go right through them and you'll know to get there. But there are some Christians who don't know the book of the Bible. Now, why did I get into that? Because it's my pet peeve and you'll forgive me. I have the platform and you don't. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 Look, please, at verse 6 for a moment. Talking about, of course, I love this, about death. Someday, if the great translation of the saints doesn't take place, we are all going to die. That is, our soul, spirit, will leave our body, and our body will go back to the dust of the earth. But pick it up in verse uh, 5, if you would. I mean, verse 6. Talking about death, or ever the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. You get the idea? Something's leaking, and it's you. you you'll leave the scene, okay? Verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. Get that? Your spirit leaves your body. And then what? It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. God decides where you're going. Now, Lord willing, next time we get together, we're going to compare that. What man says about this and what God says about this. And again, I know that you know this. There's a vast chasm between the two. Men have made up all kinds of things just so they could fit in in their own thinking, remember, they compare themselves among themselves uh, just so they could fit in wickedness into this scope of thinking. I came for a religion who believed in a place called purgatory. And the reason they did that is they couldn't explain, well, what about a person who was a murderer and yet he did good things for the church? Oh, well, there's a special place. He goes into this place called purgatory and he, he kind of stays there till he's good enough to get to heaven. Human philosophy, is it not? Human thinking, is it not? Sure it is. Why? So I can fit it into my theology, my philosophy, my psychology about if there is a God. Now we know there is and God said there's a heaven and hell difference between their thinking and our thinking. God's word says this, we believe it. 
we, we, it's believing God's word and acting accordingly. We believe that, but when we're talking to an unsaved person, we need to recognize that chasm. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your revealed truth. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thanking, thank you, Lord, for giving to me your great salvation, so rich and free.